Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Pete Bacon Darwin. Pete, do you want to say hi? Hi there. It's good to see you. I hear from yeah. you. People, the things that I think I know you best for are um, Angular Connect and yes. um, maintaining Angular JS. These have been a big part of my life for the last uh, five years or so. Yeah, definitely. Have I missed anything big? Well, um, a big part of my life, which uh, uh, maybe people are aware of, is that um, I've, for many years I've been the full-time dad, stay-at-home dad, and that IT is somewhat uh, kind of my second string. <laughs> Although my children <laughs> are now getting old enough that uh, they don't really need me so much anymore. But this is, this is definitely something that I think people ought to know me for because it's, yeah. it's, I think it's an interesting aspect of my career. Yeah, it makes sense. That, that's a lot of work, though. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant, though. It's one of those yeah. things you hate it and you love it. Yeah, my wife, uh, well, I, I guess stays at home with the kids isn't exactly the best way to put it since I work from home, so I'm here anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It, she's the primary carer is the yeah that there you that go people use. Yeah. yeah there we go so she yeah she's the primary care person for my kids and then um yeah anyway it's it's a ton of work she does a lot more work than i do <laughs> she works harder <laughs> than i do so this episode is sponsored by sentry.io recently i came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps then i asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Anyway, um, let's, let's dive in and kind of get your story and we can kind of build up to some of the things that we talked about here including, you know, doing the full-time dad thing and still doing Angular stuff. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, let's, let's go way back and talk about how you got into programming. So um, I remember I was only a f maybe six or seven years old and my dad brought home a computer called a ZX81. And I don't know if anyone, I don't even know if they really existed in the United States, but in Europe, these were probably one of the, first personal computers that many uh -huh. families got. Uh, when I say personal computer, I mean, it was not a PC. It was a tiny <laughs> little thing which had a pop button keyboard and you connected it to your TV and it was black and white and it could do sort of characters and no graphics. Um, I had 1K of memory, you know, massive oh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, he, he bought it for us for Christmas. And I remember on Christmas day, he pulled this thing out, plugged it into the TV and, and started typing away and, and he ran a little program and it sort of said Merry Christmas across the screen over and over again. And I, <laughs> you know, how, how, you know, uh, yeah, just like, Oh, this thing is doing stuff. You know, it's almost like has a life of its own and it completely mesmerized me. And I thought it was fantastic. And uh, then slowly he kind of, he wasn't a programmer. He was an electrical engineer, but obviously he had sort of some skills. And, but uh, 
we started playing around with it a bit and then slowly I got more powerful computers, uh, ZX Spectrum, which I don't mm -hmm. know if that was a, a thing over in the States either, but these are all really basic machines compared to nowadays. Um, and I just, I just kind of loved doing coding. It just felt like a great hobby. And uh, I used to get these magazines called Sinclair, uh, your Sinclair magazine. And in the back, it would always have loads of programs you could type in. So I'd spend hours mm -hmm. typing these things in. And I remember typing in machine code programs where you had to type in hex. And because you were so likely to make some mistake, they would always have a little checksum at the end of every line. And then right. you'd run it and it would fail. And then you'd have to like search through to find which hex character you'd typed in wrong. Um, and I just, it was just always something that just went on in the background. And I never thought of it as a career. When I was, when I was a kid, I was interested in physics. I envisioned myself being some kind of Einstein theoretical physicist. You know, I, I loved uh, quantum mechanics and relativity and all these crazy modern physics things. So uh, when I was in my teens, I was thinking, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I'll go to university. I'll become a researcher. Um, I ended up going and studying maths because uh, that was a good route into theoretical physics. But then by the time I'd finished my degree, I actually didn't really feel that confident about being uh, in research anymore. And, it, and I'd always had the computer programming ticking along in the background. You know, when you ever right. do things like a maths degree, you're always going to be doing computational programming mm -hmm. things in the background. And I just enjoyed doing it. And I, I still saw it as a hobby. And, I, and I, I graduated and I just thought, what do I do with my life now? So I thought, well, I'll just go and get a coding job because I find that fun and it's going to pay me pretty well. And then I'll think about what I want to be in real. <laughs> and uh, and it, I never went back and I've just coded ever since. Nice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting too. I, I know a lot of people that, yeah, they got into programming as a kid, kind of like what we talked about with your story. And then, um, yeah, they went and studied something else. You know, your, yeah. yours was still fairly... Uh, mathematically, you know, based. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, then it's like, oh yeah, you know, programming is this thing that I've always loved and that, that's where they end up. Um, I've talked to other people that, yeah, no background and then as an adult they decide. And so it's, it's interesting to see where all of the differences are and, yeah. you know, why you made certain decisions and how you wound up. Um, I, mean, I mean, I wonder if it's a generational thing. I mean, I'm definitely in the older range of the angular team mm -hmm. i'm not the oldest person on the team but i'm definitely in the top end and when i was a kid computer programming wasn't really a career right you know the internet didn't exist the um you programmers were really just people who were using programming to support some other activity like engineering right. or so on so it wasn't something that you would see whereas you know nowadays children are growing up and like i'm going to be a programmer you know this is this is their goal and they actually see it as a path from the day one. Whereas I guess it took a couple of decades for me to catch up with the idea that it could actually be a career. And right. that's why, and I think lots of people of my generation probably would have done that too. They, they, they start out doing other things and the coding is a, a support mechanism. And then they finally realize that they could just do the coding and get rid of all the stuff they don't like doing. So yeah, it's uh, it's been, it's been a really nice uh, career because I'm doing something I would do for free. You know, I, I love coding. It's a, it's a great hobby. Yep. And some people like doing Sudoku or crossword puzzles or stuff like that. But uh, I find coding a real, a real joy to just break into the problems and fix them. Awesome.
So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you're on the Angular team. And I'm kind of curious, you know, you probably getting started and going through college weren't doing a lot of web development, right? You were probably doing <laughs> C and C++ and, you know, maybe yeah. some other languages. So how did you get to web development and from there to Angular? Well, after my first job, which was like embedded coding in, in little chips that were going to be stuck inside radio devices, it was really low level stuff. I, I decided I needed to move to London in the UK because that's where everyone goes in London, in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. It's where all the work is. And uh, I joined a small company called Smart Logic. Um, and they were actually a kind of competitor to Google at the time. This was, this was around 2000. And Google, I think, was just starting to take over the world. But it hadn't got the full monopoly that it feels like it has nowadays. Um, and Smart Logic was a search engine company. They had a, um, a search engine crawler called Web Ferret that was written mm-hmm. by a guy called Martin Porter, who was an academic in Cambridge. And um, we did things like news categorization where we'd be parsing text and working out what the news was about and putting it into categories. So it was, it was really quite front end stuff at the time because this was only 2000. But um, then uh, Google sort of captured the entire market and pretty much all of the other small players just decided mm-hmm. to drop out. Um, so then I went, so this was my first real it wasn't even that much to do with web at the time. You know, we were doing a lot of backend right. engines to, to parse text and things like that. Um, but it's, but when I was working on that, that was when .NET, Microsoft.net started appearing and I started getting involved in that. And then I left that company and became a consultant. And as part of a consulting career, I'd go to lots and lots of projects and mm-hmm. see lots of clients and how they did things and the good and the bad. And that was when, things like building the user interface via the web became a thing. Um, up until that point, the web was very much read only. And it was just when web two was starting to happen and mm-hmm. dynamic HTML and JavaScript started to take off. And that was where I started to engage with web technologies. Um, but it wasn't really until I actually gave up work to become a dad that we talked about already. Right. Uh, that the web became a big part of my career because when I gave up work, I, I stopped work completely. I didn't have a job, but uh, what I would do is little projects in the background, like for local neighbors or people that I knew and I'd build them websites and, um, or I would solve their problems. And what happened was there was a, there was um, an orthopedic surgeon who wanted to have an online offline um, survey that he could give to his patients and say, you know, how painful is your knee now? And then he'd bring it to them after the operation and say, how painful is your knee now? And they'd fill this thing in. Um, but the trouble was that at the time in the hospitals, there was no real Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had a tablet that he could put this thing on, but he couldn't have it necessarily connect to the internet. Uh, so he wanted it to be able to run offline. So I started looking into various ways and I found JavaScript would be a nice way to run an offline app. And I started using various JavaScript frameworks, including uh, Sprout Core, which then became Ember, and um, Knockout, and so on, and Backbone. And I didn't really like any of them that so much. And and uh, <laughs> and then I came across this thing called Angular JS. I think I was on I think I was on a like a Knockout um, mailing list, trying to find a props, way to solve a problem that I had. And someone posted on there saying. Oh, well, I had this problem, but, uh, but I just gave up and used AngularJS instead. And that was the first I'd heard of it. So 
I went and looked at it and it just completely fitted with my mindset. I'd come from um, the .NET background where separation of concerns in, in applications was, uh, was pushed. Mm-hmm. And this idea of having a separation between the template and the back end and dependency injection and testing, it all just felt fantastic. And, um, and I was just sold from that moment onwards. And I just started using it for quite a few projects that I was working on. And I found bugs and I started listening to the mailing list and people were asking questions. I was like, I know the answer to that question. I'll, I'll answer that. And before I knew it, I was answering like 95% of the questions on the mailing list. <laughs> wow. Um, and the, the Angular team became a bit of aware of this and they noticed that I was always on there and they would write to me and say, thank you for doing this because it's taking the strain off us so we can focus on developing. It's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I met a guy called Josh Mint and Josh wanted to set up an Angular London meetup. And so he and I decided we would do this and we started running some meetups and I ended up right, like giving most of the talks because at the time there were not many people who uh, knew much about AngularJS. So I was giving monthly talks at the meetup and I somehow got in touch uh, with Pavel Kozlovsky and he lived in the South. He lives in the South of France. And I think he approached me and said, look, I'm going to write this book about AngularJS. And I've seen that you've got lots of answers on the mailing list. Why don't we do it together? And I thought that sounds like a great, fun thing to add to my uh my armory so he and i spent the next year writing a book which was very catchily called mastering web application development with angular js or something like that (laughs) and it had some purple flowers on the front of the book um and i think we were just really lucky we caught the front of a wave Mm -hmm. there were not many books there <clears throat> and the the main book was by Brad Green and a colleague of his, but it really just talked about the Angular API. Whereas what we tried to do was find some of the real problems when you build a real Angular app, Angular JS app at the time, right. like security or um, performance, <clears throat> architecture, and so on. And so uh, our book was much more practical, and people seem to love it, and it sold really well for a number of years. I still get the odd quarterly statement from them, but it's uh, not selling so well these days, funnily enough. And um, with all of that exposure, the Angular team uh, said to Pavel and I, hey, why don't you just start contributing directly to the, to the core? Oh, so not nice. to, to Angular team. This was still AngularJS. So they just drew us in. And this has been the biggest bonus of my life. People like Igor and Mishko and Brad, they've, they've really embraced uh, people like me and Pavel and encouraged us to be part of the team and really did what I believe should be what open source is all about, you know, trying to keep connection to people outside of their core team that's at Google. And, um, and it requires a lot of work. And I have to say, Eagle has been a continual great asset to me and the team. He's always been a great communicator and a great person to keep me connected to the team, even though I'm on the other side of the world. And I don't get to uh, have the same rapport with the people in the offices as, as I would do if I was over there. Um, so I was contributing and I was getting to go to all of the meetings and we'd talk about things. And then after a while, we just somehow came to an agreement that actually it would be better if I did more hours and that perhaps they should just pay me for those. Because up until that point, it was all free. Because as I said before, it's a hobby. I like coding. It's right. just a fun thing to do. And uh, uh, so I jumped at the chance 
and so I became a, a contractor for the for the uh, team, and that was about in two thousand and four thirteen, I think. So six years ago, <laughs> um, I think I was probably like the fifth person on the team in the end. And uh, I've slowly watched it grow over the last five years. Um, and, uh, and in 2014, uh, Igor was heading up the AngularJS bit while Mishko went off and started working on what was Angular mm -hmm. Dart and then moved on to building Angular 2. Right. Uh, but Igor really needed to be involved in the Angular side of things. So um, we agreed that I would actually take on the leadership of the AngularJS side of the project. And uh, so for the last four years or five years now, um, I've headed up this team and it's made up of a really cool uh, set of people. Um, George Kalpakas and, and Martin Staffer, uh, who are also uh, working uh, for the team like me. And then uh, some really excellent contributors from the community like um, Michal and uh, Jason Bedard. Uh, mm -hmm. And we've had weekly meetings. It's been a really wonderful journey with them. And they've contributed so much to AngularJS and Igor always used to say that um, us keeping AngularJS going, if you remember that terrible period when Angular 2 was just taking forever to come. Yes. <laughs> uh, by us keeping yes. AngularJS going, uh, it allowed Angular 2 to, to progress to completion because if AngularJS collapsed before Angular 2 got out, then you know, no one would go to Angular 2. Right. Um, so, so we had a really good time and uh, it's, it's been a wonderful time and it's, about it's good that it's now over because I think it's been a, such a backbone of, of, of that bit of my career. But at the same time, you have to embrace change. And uh, this project definitely came to the end of its life. And so we've now put it into long-term support mode, which means we only build uh, fixes if they are really serious, like security bugs or right. someone releases a browser, which is going to cause all the Angular JS apps to break something like that, then we would release something new. But other than that, I think the message for the community is now uh, don't, don't expect any more uh, changes to the AngularJS project. Um, and I was really worried and everyone in the team was really worried that if we did that kind of announcement, it would freak everyone out because there are hundreds of thousands of projects out there probably using AngularJS. And, uh, but actually the, the result was that most people were really happy because they said this gives us some certainty on how to plan our projects. You know, if right. you were going to carry on maybe dribbling some features in, then we'd feel some obligation to stick with AngularJS. But now that we know it has an end date, then we can set, we can set our business priorities and, our, and our work out what we're going to do going forward. Right. So yeah, it's been, so AngularJS was, is the bit, was the big thing, um, but it's coming to an end. So uh, the people on the AngularJS team are slowly, finding their way into the Angular side of the project. And that's what I've been doing for the last probably year or two in various different ways. Yeah, they, I, think, I think I remember hearing that there was an announcement that there, there was only a limited time left on the support for AngularJS. Yeah, so I... Uh, <clears throat> I can't remember went anything. into LTS mode in the summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was June. And I, uh, we've agreed to... I believe three years of this right. LTS okay. support. So, you know, it's, we're not just chucking the towel in and, and walking right. away and washing our hands. We're definitely there. And the, the, the AngularJS teams still continue to meet and we, we discuss if there are issues, but um, 
but it's uh, it's fairly clear that we're not doing any major development now. Um, right. And three years should, is plenty, for, I think, for people to make decisions in such a volatile business as this anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I know some companies have been working for years to get things transitioned over to Angular. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I can definitely see not, you know, the, I guess diminishing returns when it comes to supporting Angular JS, and so yeah, that 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 decision made sense to me. Yeah, the, the, I mean, the whole reason that Angular is a thing is that there were some fundamental design problems with Angular yeah. JS, which couldn't be solved without significantly rewriting the code, and that's what they did. They they took the code and they wiped it completely clean and said, okay, we'll start from scratch using mm -hmm. the same principles and, and philosophy of AngularJS, but, but built in a way which doesn't um, have the same catches that AngularJS had. Things like the scope, things like uh, having a single injector that you can't do lazy loading of code and things like that. You know, these things just completely killed the scalability of things like AngularJS for really big apps. And uh, that was something that the team really wanted to be able to support. Yep. <clears throat> Um, but obviously, you know, even after the three years of LTS, there will be Angular JS apps living and yes. being used. It just means, and if they're working now, then the chances are they'll still be working in three years' time because there are, if they're working now, then they've probably been well um, worked over and any bugs that are in them are probably solved. So unless you start adding new features, then your bug count doesn't tend to go up. Right. <clears throat> So yep. the, the future is, is looking good, I think. Everyone's settled into this, uh, this feeling. And we can now focus on uh, our, our goals on Ang Angular instead. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It's interesting, too, just to see how um, you kind of evolved from, hey, I'm sort of fanatical about this framework, and so I'm going to go help people online, to you know, sort of being, I, I don't want to say an unofficial member of the team, but you know, you were, you were definitely somebody they were leaning on and then it was, okay, now we're going to bring you onto the team and then you wind up supporting. Um, Isn't it amazing? It totally blows my mind it, that, I, that I can sort of squeeze my way into this team of outstanding engineers who are way outside of my league when it comes to the, their abilities and that I've managed to... Uh, have the benefit of being part of them you know it's it's obviously great being uh, in the angular team just because it's a cool project to be on but to actually have access to those kinds of engineers it's it's uh, an absolute blessing it's really amazing and i and i and on top of that i've got this fantastic flexible career where i get to look after my kids and i work yeah. from home and i choose uh to a large extent the, the 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 way in which I work, it's uh, it's quite remarkable, and I don't know many industries where that is possible, but IT is definitely one of them, and uh, and I'm I'm definitely a big proponent of trying to balance out your life, and not just be obsessed about just working all the time because mm -hmm. I think it's not healthy. Um, obviously, I think I'm a bit lucky, and I'm in the unusual case, but um, I I always encourage people to make sure that they have a good balance in yep. their life and that their family is good for them and that they have hobbies outside of work and that they're not up all night, every night, killing that, killing themselves and burning the candle at both ends and so on. 
Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too. Um, I, I definitely agree with, you know, speaking of, of balance. Yeah. I mean, figure out what you want from your life and then, you know, go make it. Yeah. Um, and if, if all you want from life is to, you know, work your tail off at, at some job, you know, maybe you need to look at some other things, but, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. The thing that I find interesting too, is just, you know, again, I, I have people come to me and they're like, well, how do I become more well-known or how do I become more involved in the community? And it's like, it's like, you just, you go out there and you be awesome. I mean, you know, you go help people, you help a lot of people and eventually it'll work your, you know, it'll work out. And that's, that's definitely what happened to you. You were just out there helping a whole bunch of people and you wind up on the radar of the people running the, uh, the Angular project. And I've actually seen this happen a number of times. So, so I'm, not, I. Uh, I'm not definitely uh, an outlier here. The, out, the open source world is a wonderful place because it really is very, um, opens up so many possibilities to people who um, are in the background just working hard. And I'm, I'm always encouraging companies to engage with open source. And I'm always encouraging individuals who want to yeah, go up the tree. I, I say to them, don't focus on your CV, focus on what you're doing on mm -hmm. GitHub. Yeah. Yep. Write, write articles, build code, fix bugs, um, go on stack overflow and answer things. You know, that stuff will count so much more in when, the, when the, you've got an interview with a company than, than what you can do on your CV to like make it look flashy. Well, um, what, what I tell people, cause I've been writing a book on how to get a job. Oh, um, cool. And the thing is, is your CV or resume or whatever you want to call it, you know, depending on what part of the world you're from. Um, I mean, essentially it's a sales brochure, yeah. right? It's to, it's to get your foot in the door maybe. Yeah. And so if you have all of the other things that you're talking about, you can put them all on there, right? Yeah. I've answered, you know, 10 million questions on Stack Overflow and I've contributed mm. to these six projects on GitHub and, you know, and yeah, um, it's, it's not, that you're focused on building your CV, but at the same time, you put that stuff on there, it's going to stand out a whole lot more than I showed up to my job for the last year and did what yeah. they told me to. And even though I did impressive things with Angular, you know, somebody else who's out there and involved in a lot of these other projects that a lot of people use, that, that's definitely going to get more attention. And the so, big difference for me is that it's transparent. Yeah. Yes. If you are putting things to GitHub or answering questions on Stack Overflow, future employers can go and read it and see yes. the quality of what you're producing. Uh, you know, often you'll see, you know, oh, I was at this company and I was the most highly prized employee, but what does that mean? You know, it's, it's all yeah. locked away in, in the company unless you start going and taking references up from those mm -hmm. people. But if you've got stuff out there on the internet, then, then it's easy for people to check up and see what you're doing and if they like the way that you work. Yep, definitely. So I want to ask you, I want to ask about Angular Connect, but I'm going to ask you a little bit more about your, your work-life balance and how you manage that, right? I mean, right. you said your kids are getting older, they're a little more independent, but it sounds like you're still making sure that you're taking the time to be around when they need you around. So, so how do you strike that balance? So they're now teenagers, which means that they don't need me so much to walk them to and from school mm -hmm. or this kind of thing. Right. Um, I'm somewhat more of the dad taxi now, um, driving them <laughs> other places. I get that. Uh, My oldest is 13, so yeah. Yeah, so it's exactly. Yeah. Um, so they're very independent. 
minded. Um, but I think actually when, when you're a teenager, you need your parents as much as ever, but in a different way. You don't need them to wipe your bum and to right. brush your teeth or whatever, but you, they need you from an emotional point of view because it's a really traumatic point in your life going through puberty and your teens and, and all the stresses of that kind of part of your life. And I think having parents around at home when you get home from school that you can then just sound off to because you've had a bad day or um, right. just, just having someone there in the background. My uh, uh, wife told me once about uh, a thing called uh, flower pot parenting, which is uh, where you basically are just like a flower pot in the corner of the room. You know, you don't have to interact with them, but you just know it's there. Mm -hmm. And right. that just kind of makes you feel a little bit more comfortable because that person's there. You know, you mm -hmm. don't actually do anything with them, but just because you're not completely on your own, you feel like this safety net is there and it helps with your mental well-being. So this is, this is kind of where I'm leaning to now in terms of my um, work-life balance. I want to always be there when the kids are at home from school and interact with them. And I mean, I work from home like you, so it's right. easy for me to be there. <laughs> um, and... Um, one of the interesting things about working with the Angular team from London is that, of course, the time zone difference is crazy. I mm -hmm. think they're eight hours ahead, depending on the time of year. So I end up having lots of meetings in the evening. Right. But it means that uh, during the day, I'm free uh, to get on right. and do, do non-work-based things. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it works really nicely for me. Um, and that, that means that I, my daily life is completely chaotic in some sense because I don't have that nine to five feeling at all. It's every day is different. And I, and I'm sometimes up really late at night. Sometimes I'm working in, during the day. Sometimes I'm not, uh, sometimes I'm looking after the kids. So uh, it always, it's always changing around me, but I really like that. I've never been one to kind of like a very rigid lifestyle and that gives me energy. And I'm really pleased that the Google team uh, appreciate and understand that. They've never put pressure on me to do more hours than I want to do. Mm -hmm. And they've never um, indicated that, that the style of working that I do is, is not acceptable. But maybe I, I get those benefits, but I push back and, and provide them with high quality work. Who knows? They seem to be happy enough. They haven't sacked me yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's <laughs> only a matter of time is that, you know, it, we, we've kind of talked our way around, you know, finding a job that gives you what you want. And yeah, uh, you know, again, it comes down to, yeah, what, what value you're providing? Are they happy with that? Do they understand where you're coming from? And if you set a lot of those expectations out up front, you really can kind of tailor the job to be what you want. Hmm. And some companies are more flexible than others. And, you know, maybe different teams in Google would be less flexible, but you know, they, they knew what they were asking for when they asked you to come and work for them. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But every year I kind of expect them to have some kind of managerial decision that actually they don't need me anymore. <laughs> the writing's on yeah. the wall. It's always like every year, but you know, that's fine. I even said to Igor once uh, that if they, if they stop paying me, that's fine. I'd still carry on doing Angular because I love doing it so much. <laughs> maybe not quite as many hours, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be at all upset if they decided that it was time to change the dynamic. You know, these, I've had, a, this is the longest continual project I've been on in my life, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> remarkable. Um, yeah. But I mean, even then, it, most of the folks I've talked to at Google, it sounds like they have a certain level of autonomy 
from one team to the other. So yeah. Uh, I really yeah. want to dive in on Angular Connect. So how did that get started? Yeah, so I, I've, I kind of skirted around that, but um, this all grew out of the, um, the meetup that I mentioned at the beginning with Josh Moont. Uh, mm-hmm. He and I were running this uh, meetup and he kept saying, you know, I think actually maybe we saw ng-conf, the first one. Mm-hmm. And, and Josh came to me and said, you know what, we should be doing that too. London's cool. Everyone would like to come to London. Let's do it. Um, and at the time, we'd also then just partnered with another meetup in London that was Angular related. And we realized that we shouldn't be competing with each other. So we right. merged the two together. So the person who was running the other meetup was Ed Connolly. And the three of us decided, right, we're going to do a, a conference. So um, we approached White October Events, which is the events company that we work with. And at the time, it was just a two-woman band. It was a uh, Ruth, who run, who uh, basically is the CEO, and and, uh, and another colleague of hers, and they just said, "Yeah, let's do this." Um, and they put down, like they underwrote the whole thing. And I remember Ruth saying to me, "Right, okay, so we're doing this Angular Connect thing. If it fails, the company is done for." Yeah, this, I'm betting the whole company on this because <laughs> wow. we've we've put in this huge deposit on this venue. And if no one buys tickets, then, then we're going to have to fold the company. But of course uh, it was hugely successful. And, um, and we've gone on now it's uh, four years and every year I feel that we do better. And the thing that I'm really proud of with Angular Connect and it comes and it's in the name, right? From the very beginning, we didn't want to just put on a conference that was about lecturing people. Right. We wanted to provide us a place where developers could come together and connect. Yeah. And meet each other and hang out. And the Joe blogs in the street could meet these high flying angular core team in, right. in really informal environment where they could talk about things and get their ideas across or get help. And it's a great opportunity. I think also for the angular team to reach out and meet the real people that are using the framework day in, day out. Um, and so all of the things that we do in Angular Connect are based around this fundamental idea of bringing people together so that uh, they can enjoy and get more out of Angular. And, uh, and I feel that we've done a really good job. And what I'm really proud of is that, first of all, um, conferences like NGConf have actually taken some of our ideas and incorporated them into theirs. We've also taken some of their ideas. So there's a to and fro. And we're really good friends with the ng-conf team mm-hmm. with joe and aaron and sunny and we have a constant flow of discussion with them so we we've really benefited from that um but also uh many many speakers and attendees and um people in the angular team constantly tell us how what a wonderful environment and ethos we create at the conference and again that's part of this package is we want people to feel happy and and right uh, in, able to engage with people in a safe way and and that's the thing that i'm always striving for you know the the content's important the food is important the the simplicity of the logistics but um if the ethos is not right the atmosphere then i'm i feel that we've failed and and i'm really pleased that we've had so many people telling us year after year oh this is my favorite conference to come to my favorite angular conference at least um it's got such a nice atmosphere and you make it so easy for us and, uh, and the people are so nice. And that for me is the thing that makes me want to do it year in, year out. Um, it's great. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. This year, we're uh, this year we're doing a slight reboot because we've decided this year to move venue. So after four years of being out uh, in the east of London near City Airport, we're now going right into the centre. So we're going to be going to uh, a conference centre which is right next to Westminster which is where the government are currently having their Brexit discussions. And <laughs> we can look out the window of the conference center and see Big Ben. And you can walk out to the River Thames from there. So it's going to be a really awesome central London venue this year. We'll be able to do lots of cool things within walking distance of the conference center. Um, and because it's a new venue, we have a new layout. So we're going to try a few new things, see what we can come up with that will make it even more enjoyable environment for people to come together in so you have to watch this space we're starting to plan now nice it sounds like fun i i would love to come it seems like i've always had another conference that conflicted with it so maybe <laughs> we'll this year to, we'll have to try and find a way for you to come yep so what are you working on now so as i said um uh with AngularJS starting to wind down, um, with all, all the AngularJS team are starting to sort of find, find roles within the Angular side of things. Um, so for a number of years now, I've been uh, uh, involved in, in documentation generation um, and building the websites for various of our projects to, uh, to, to render the documentation. <clears throat> and so I built this funky little tool called Jenny, uh, which is spelled D-G-E-N-I. And um, it's been surprisingly uh, effective. It's, it's got a terrible learning curve and um, it's almost impossible to backwardly engineer, like reverse engineer what it does, but it's incredibly <laughs> flexible. And once people get over this learning curve, uh, this initial kind of hit of how to get it to work, everyone I've spoken to says, I just love the flexibility um, and versatility of this tool because anything I conceive of, I can make it do that. And um, so, so it hasn't hardly changed in the three or four, oh, maybe four years since I first built it. Um, I keep wanting to rebuild it to make it so that it is easier to maintain your documentation generation and understand what's going on and reverse engineer it, but I just haven't had time. And obviously, because it's so effective, it doesn't seem uh, a priority. Um, so as part of that, then I ended up falling into the Angular.io project, which was um, a really cool project where we actually used Angular to build the documentation for Angular. And um, in order to do that, we had to do some funky things uh, because we've got hundreds and hundreds of pages of uh, content and you couldn't build an Angular app where each page was an Angular component because it would just kill the build <clears throat> and so we we had to come up with more dynamic ways of doing that and to some extent that led us through into uh what then became angular elements and and right angular angular.io is actually one of the one of the earlier um users of angular elements which is which is quite fun so it's it's also been a good proving ground for some of the funky things that have been coming out of the angular team recently mm -hmm. um so that's been a real nice mix of Angular build, Angular app building, um, Node.js, bit of TypeScript, you know, just kind of a, a nice mix of technologies, um, right. which, uh, which is, is fun to do. Um, but then luckily enough, I've also managed to sneak into some of the more core stuff. So there's this uh, horrendous thing called NG Upgrade, which is, uh, <laughs> which is, it's horrendous from the inside. I mean, it's a great tool. 
uh, it allows uh, Angular JS and Angular applications to sort of run inside each other mm-hmm. uh, until interleaving components uh, right. between each other. And uh, it's an absolute pig to develop because there are so many moving parts. If you can just imagine <laughs> trying to connect up zones and digests and change detections and renderings and, um, and who owns what and, and when things are going to happen, it's just almost impossible. And luckily, uh, one of the people on the AngularJS team, who I forgot to mention earlier, George Kalpakas, mm-hmm. and he's now an absolute pivotal figure in things like ng-upgrade and, um, and actually more and more in the Angular team now as well. He's also the world's greatest code reviewer. If you ever want your code reviewing, then you should go to George Kalpakas because uh, <laughs> nice. he, will, he will go through it with a fine tooth comb and find every possible thing that's wrong with it. And that's not just coming from me. Uh, Igor Minar even said that he's the best uh, code reviewer ever as well. So uh, that's uh, high praise indeed because uh, Igor's a very uh, careful reviewer as well. And uh, George actually rewrote a large amount of ng-upgrade uh, during the time that we've been, it's been released uh, to make it much more maintainable. Um, so that's a fun project and it definitely gets your mental gymnastics going to try and understand what's going on. Um, but obviously now the, uh, the, the new and exciting stuff is all around Ivy, uh, which is what we're hoping to see come to fruition over the next few months, 12 months or so. And, uh, and I've been lucky enough to uh, work with Alex Rickabau and, and to some extent Mishka as well on some aspects of the new Angular compiler. Um, in the previous versions of Angular, we had a thing called the View Engine, uh, which was to a large extent written by people like Tobias um, Bosch. And uh, the IV engine is a sort of replacement for the view engine. <clears throat> and um, it has it's a, a different compiler because the compilation of, um, of templates for Angular with IV um, uses a different um, plugins method inside the TypeScript compiler than the view engine used. So it's a, basically a complete rewrite of the compiler. And Alex Rickaba has done most of the work on that. Um, but I've been involved in a project called NGCC, which stands for Angular Compatibility Compiler. Uh-huh. And I don't know if anyone knows about this yet, uh, but it's, the, it's going to be the, the hidden gem of, of this entire process because what you have to understand is that the, NG, the, the new Ivy compiler doesn't understand stuff that's been previously compiled for the view engine because they have incompatible um, build outputs. Mm-hmm. So if you've got someone who's built a library and they've published it on NPM having built it already, then <clears throat> you, you can't use that with Ivy uh-huh. unless you run the NGCC compiler over it. Mm-hmm. And what the NGCC compiler does is it decompiles the view engine code and then recompiles it into Ivy. So it basically takes pre-published libraries and makes them compatible with Ivy. And so um, if you've got a project which uses lots of third-party components and libraries, you'll be able to switch to using Ivy as your rendering engine because NGCC will make all of the libraries that you use compatible with your new Ivy app which is an, obviously an important feature of the uh, Angular team's ethos, which is that we're trying not to make things that are um, not backwardly compatible. 
Right. Um, but this is a this is a quite a challenge in itself because <clears throat> obviously when you compile something from TypeScript to JavaScript, you lose a lot of information. Particularly, you lose all the typings, right? So to try and reverse it, reverse compile stuff like that is uh, it can be a bit tricky. Um, <laughs> so it's been a fun a, a, a great little um, programming challenge. Um, but it's the kind of thing I really like because it has very clear semantics. You know exactly what the expectation is. There's no user saying, well, I'd really like to have it a little bit more pink and the buttons are a bit bigger. And you know, <laughs> the, the, the constraints and the, and, the, and the specification is clear. It has to take code that's compiled with Vue Engine and make it available to Ivy. So right. it's one of those lovely programming things, which I, is the kind of thing I love doing where you can just write unit tests all day long and totally test-driven develop it. Um, so I've been enjoying doing that since about September and the compiler is pretty much in place now. Um, and so I've, uh, I've also um, then stepped a little bit away from that and got more, a little bit more involved in Ivy in general, been fixing some bugs, particularly around the N NG upgrade usage of Ivy. Um, and just this last few weeks, I've uh, been doing a very exciting project, which is um, implementing source mapping for Angular template. So the, uh, the, uh, the idea of this is that we'll be able to um, put breakpoints directly on the HTML of your template mm. and then stop on that bit of the Ivy uh, instructions when, when it's rendering or when it's doing change detection for that bit of the template. Um, and also if you have an, an, like an exception thrown, then you're going to get a really nice stack that will say, you were, the, the error was in this expression that was at this point in the, in the right. um, template, <clears throat> stuff like that. So hopefully this is going to really be a nice feature for um, the developer experience. Uh, it's good fun to do. The source it mapping is amazing. one of those horrendous, again, <laughs> yeah. uh, horrendous things to work with because it's got this crazy uh, encoding and things can go awry very quickly. So I'm keeping pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. There's no end in sight at the moment, but I'm enjoying it all. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, now, I do want to be mindful of time. Um, yeah. So we'll just go to picks. Uh, do you have some things you want to shout out about? Um, so uh, one thing that I've been quite excited about uh, this since January is, um, is a guy called Wim Hof. It's W-I-M and then H-O-F. He's a Dutch crazy guy, uh, <laughs> sometimes known as uh, the Iceman. And, uh, and he's done these uh, crazy stunts. Like um, basically his thing is that he's learned or taught himself how to control aspects of his body, which most people can't control. So in particular, his big thing is that he can control his body temperature. So at will, he's able to raise his body temperature uh, and he's done things like sat in a bath of ice cubes for two hours without getting hypothermia. He's oh, wow. 50 meters under an iceberg uh, in, the, in the Arctic, um, minus something degrees. He's walked up Kilimanjaro, the biggest mountain in, in Africa, in a pair of shorts and no T-shirt. You know, like totally nuts. Um, but he's got this method of, um, of training, which he can teach to other people. And then other people are able to recreate the crazy stunts that he does. Right. It's based mainly around breathing exercises and cold showers. And uh, I read a really cool book uh, in January uh, by someone who'd met him and then trained with him. 
and I think it was the book's called I'll have to put it in the links but it's called something like um this may kill you or or what yeah I think it's something like this may kill you <laughs> it, it was one of those books where you're like oh I'm definitely going to read that and, uh, and I was fascinated by it and really inspired so I haven't actually started doing the Wim Hof method particularly but um but I have been interested in doing these kind of ice showers and and considering the effects of having sort of cold showers and jumping in ice pools and things like that so uh, <laughs> that's one of my one of my hobbies for this year is to to play around with changing my body temperature a bit so that's one of my picks is to go and read this book it's really it's really good fun and the stories are just gonna make you laugh out loud because they're almost inconceivable how crazy he is so that's that's my main thing i think from a from just a general point of view nice if people want to find you online where do they go uh i'm uh, i'm available on twitter peter bd um uh you can email me. I'm happy. For, uh, my email address is, is just Pete at bacondarwin.com. That's an easy one. And uh, I've occasionally get emails from people and I do make every effort to reply to them. Uh, I recently had a really nice conversation with a, a person in China who had been reading the angular source code and wanted to ask a question about it. And we had a really nice conversation nice. about why the code was written the way it was. And so I'm always very happy to, I, I didn't actually know the reasons. So then I had to go and ask Alex about it. And, you know, it's a very, I, I think it's a really nice thing. Again, similar to I, the ethos of Angular Connect is that mm -hmm. open source is about being available to people. So please feel free to email me. I'll promise I'll respond. I love it. Awesome. And if you're in London, you can get in touch and I'll come and have coffee with you. Someday, someday I'll make it to London. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, I'm trying to think of some picks here. So one of the things that I'm going to pick, and this is uh, this has nothing to do with anything that Pete talked about, but uh, <laughs> um, lately I've been uh, you know trying to get my health under control, and one of the things I've been doing is the keto diet, the ketogenic diet. Um, oh, and cool. some of the reason is just that I'm diabetic, and so not eating carbs seems to make a lot of sense. Um, and I feel better when I do it and stick to it. And I found this list of, so my, I guess the other part of it is, is um, my two boys have gone through a program um, to help them with some various issues. And they basically cut things like wheat and dairy out of their diet as part of the right. program. And we can argue all day, right, as to whether or not that's effective. Um, but anyway... So I've been looking for keto, dairy-free, wheat-free recipes, which is hard because uh, a lot of the recipes for keto include cheese and things like that because it's high fat. And so um, I found a list of uh, keto, dairy-free recipes. It has a lot of paleo recipes in it as well, but you know what they're looking at is the carb content and the fat content. Mm -hmm. And so uh, anyway, I've, I've really been um, uh, enjoying some of the recipes off of this, so I'm going to post it. Um, and then... Yeah, the other thing is, is I've been uh, listening to, I listen to audiobooks all the time. Um, and the book that I listened to most recently that uh, kind of impacted me, I have to look because I can't remember, um, is also related to this. And it's uh, Cholesterol Clarity by Eric Westman and Jimmy Moore. And uh, if, if you've been around the keto community for a while and you listen to podcasts and things, most of the stuff in the book is stuff that I had already heard. 
but it's interesting to see it all kind of put into one place. Talks about the cholesterol heart hypothesis as far as, you know, cholesterol being a, a major cause of heart disease. And they pretty much take it apart. And it's, it's really interesting to see, okay, so what should I care about? And, you know, anyway, it's also been interesting to have conversations with my doctor because my doctor is fully bought into the cholesterol heart hypothesis. And so to have the conversation about, hey, you know, what that you're giving me is helping and what isn't has been really fun. So anyway, um, I think everybody should take some interest in their health. You know, don't just go yeah. with whatever your doctor says because um, some doctors know their stuff and some don't. And some, you know, they, they learned what was sort of the cutting edge science, you know, when they graduated and now it's been 10 or 20 years and some of this stuff has changed. So anyway, um, but yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, by the way, because my, my wife decided to go gluten free this year mm-hmm. and, uh, and she's said, again, we have no scientific control right. or anything but she said that she's just felt so much better out after doing that um but it does make it a lot more painful to find the recipes <laughs> gluten-free yeah. recipes are much more tricky to come by everything seems to be made with flour wheat flour yeah and, and but, uh, you know, i hear happier. people i hear people argue both ways well you know if you don't have a diagnosis then you probably don't have to but i know people who feel better after doing it so i mean you know what whatever works for people i yeah take yeah. take an interest give it a shot you know and see what see what happens for you see what works for you so awesome all right I'll well i've got another out. show in like one minute so i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up i know you have a meeting coming up too so sure. uh, thank you for coming it's really great to speak to you thanks charles yeah and uh yeah i'll see if i can make it out to london someday and we'll let's chat about that some food all right awesome thanks very much yeah, thank you. We'll uh, we'll catch you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.